And we're going to be studying together in verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. Before we get into our lesson this morning, I wanted to share some good news with you. This past Friday, I had the privilege of baptizing a lady named Lori Robertson into Christ. We met her through our disaster relief program here. Jacob and I had been studying with her for several months, and then we lost touch with her for several months. We weren't able to contact her. We weren't able to find a time to meet. It was late last week whenever we got a call from Lori saying, I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to make that decision. So we were able to do that on Friday night. I just wanted to show you that to do a couple of things. First, I wanted to introduce you to a new sister in Christ. Second, I want to ask you to be praying for her as she begins her walk with the Lord Jesus. And then number three, if you would like to encourage her in some kind of way, if you would like to write her a card or anything like that, her name is Lori Robertson. You can give me those cards and I'll make sure that they get to her. She's probably not going to be here very frequently. She lives in Fulton, so we're going to work on getting her connected with the church there. But a reason to rejoice. The angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to the Lord, when one sinner decides to submit everything to Him and we want to rejoice alongside of her. From 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to begin by asking a question. What is your greatest weakness? That's a hard question to think about, but in many ways it's an important question to think about. In asking that question, we're not looking for an answer like is typically given in an interview. Whenever you're applying for a job and you're going through an interview, they ask you what is your greatest weakness, oftentimes the answer is something like, I work too hard, I care too much, and I'm entirely too invested in my job. Well, I don't think we're looking for that kind of answer this morning. I think we need to consider this question honestly. What is your greatest weakness? What is my greatest weakness? In my opinion, Superman is one of the greatest superheroes to ever be created. He's one of the most powerful superheroes to ever be created. He can fly. He has superhuman speed and superhuman strength. He has laser, heat, and x-ray vision. As the saying goes, he's faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. He can jump over buildings in a single bound. But one thing we all know about Superman is that he has a weakness. What happens whenever even just a little bit of kryptonite comes close to Superman or comes in contact with his body? He becomes weak. The longer it stays around him, he becomes weaker and weaker. If the kryptonite stays around him long enough, Superman will die. One of the best superheroes to ever be created, one of the most powerful superheroes to ever be created, but even Superman has a weakness. What about us? Whenever we take a look at our relationships with God, whenever we think about our lives from a spiritual perspective, what is your greatest weakness? What is my greatest weakness? I don't know what it might be for you. I don't know what you might be thinking about this morning. Maybe it's some kind of trauma that you experienced in the past and it continues to impact your life in the present. Maybe it's some kind of stress, worry, or anxiety that's been laying on your shoulders very heavily lately. Maybe it's some kind of physical problem 
Some kind of disease that's completely changed your life. It's changed the way that you live. Maybe it's the disease or the struggle of somebody that you're closely related to. Somebody that you love. Maybe you struggle with your self-esteem. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't view yourself in the way that you should. The way that God views you through the cross of Jesus. Maybe it's something in your character. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe you find yourself to be the weakest when you're around a certain person. Or when you're placed in a certain situation. The list could go on and on forever, but it's a question that requires some individual reflection. What is your greatest weakness? What if we were to ask the Apostle Paul that question? What do you think he would say? As we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, what is your greatest weakness? What kind of answer would he give? When you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, Paul talks about a thorn that was given to him in the flesh. When you look at this in context in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, throughout the first six verses, Paul is speaking against false teachers who he labels as false apostles and deceitful workmen. These are false teachers who had worked their way into the church at Corinth, and their purpose was twofold. First, they wanted to attack the Apostle Paul. They wanted to attack Paul's authenticity. They wanted to attack Paul's authority. They wanted to attack Paul's apostleship. So as they pushed down the Apostle Paul, number two, they wanted to arrogantly, boastfully, pridefully elevate themselves. Paul doesn't want to lose the church at Corinth to these arrogant, boastful, prideful, false teachers. So when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, again, the first six verses, he meets them on their level. Paul talks about an experience from his past. He talks about a vision that he had that he could very well boast in. He doesn't when you look at 2 Corinthians 12, but this is something that he could boast in. This is something that could lift him up to arrogance, in humility, he talks about himself in the third person. He says, 14 years ago, I was caught up into the third heaven. The first heaven being the sky, the second heaven being the atmosphere, the third heaven being the place where God dwells. He says, I was caught up into the place where God dwells. I was caught up into paradise. He goes on to say, because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, this vision, because of the surpassing greatness and glory of this vision, verse 7, this thorn was given to me in the flesh. Paul, I want you to tell me about your greatest weakness, the greatest weakness in your life. He says, let me tell you about this thorn that I have in my flesh. While a lot of suggestions have been given, we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. Maybe it was physical. When you read throughout Paul's letters, especially the end of some letters, where he talks about writing his own name in large letters, many think that maybe Paul had problems with his eyesight. Or maybe this thorn in Paul's flesh was relational. In context, 2 Corinthians 12, he's speaking against these false teachers. Maybe they were the thorn in Paul's flesh. Then some, many suggest that the thorn in Paul's flesh was interpersonal. Think about Paul's past. Think about what he had done in his past. He had persecuted the church. He was responsible for putting Christians to death. Living with the memory of that, living with the guilt of that, was perhaps the thorn that Paul had in his flesh. We don't know what it was, regardless of whether it was relational, physical, 
or interpersonal, we notice what Paul has to say about it. First, just think about that phrase, a thorn in the flesh. Imagine somebody taking a thorn and putting it in your side. It's always going to be there. You're always going to feel it. The wound's never going to heal. Perhaps the blood's never going to stop flowing. The pain's always going to be there. Regardless of what you do, regardless of where you go, regardless of who you're with, it's always going to be causing some kind of pain. It's always going to be causing some kind of discomfort. And Paul said, that's where I am. I have this thorn in my flesh that is constantly causing difficulty in my life. He calls it a messenger of Satan when you keep looking through chapter 12 and verse number 7. I think like Job, God allowed Satan to place this thorn in Paul's flesh. What was the purpose of it? Verse 7, it's a messenger of Satan to what? The ESV says to harass me. In Greek, that's the same word, the word for harass, that's used in Matthew and Mark to describe how Jesus was continually punched in the face. Paul says, it's like I'm in a boxing match with my thorn in the flesh, with my greatest weakness, and it's punching me in the face time and time again. Blow after blow, constantly causing difficulty in my life, constantly pushing me down, constantly knocking me down. Paul, would you want to get rid of it? What do he say in verse 8? Not once, not twice. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Three times I begged Jesus to take this away from me. Maybe sometimes we think about Paul as a spiritual superman. One of the greatest missionaries to ever live, and he was. One of the greatest preachers to ever preach, and he was. But just like Superman, just like us, just like you and me, Paul had weaknesses. So let's go back to the question that we asked just a moment ago. The question that we began with. What is your greatest weakness? What is my greatest weakness? Can you relate to what the Apostle Paul is saying? Do you feel like you have a thorn in your side? Wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you're with, it's always there. Always in the back of your mind. Always causing difficulty in your life. Do you have that messenger of Satan that's harassing you? Every day, maybe even when you wake up in the morning, it's punching you in the face. It's pushing you down. It's knocking you down on a daily basis. You have this weakness in your life, this thorn in the flesh that you've talked to Jesus about. And you've begged Jesus to take this away from you. You've begged Jesus to remove this thorn in your flesh, but yet it continues to remain. What's your thorn in the flesh? What's your greatest weakness what kind of pain does it cause and how does it impact your life maybe you're feeling the fact that coming face to face with our weaknesses is not an easy thing confronting thinking about dwelling on the weaknesses that we have is not a comfortable thing to do but when we look in this text in second corinthians chapter 12 i think we find encouragement I think that we find comfort in the fact that our weaknesses have purpose. They hurt us. They push us around. They knock us down. 
They cause difficulty in our lives. We beg Jesus to take them away from us, but our weaknesses are not for nothing. Our weaknesses actually have purpose. Let's go back and see what Paul has to say about that. Number one, our weaknesses have purpose in our life because they keep us humble. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, I think that there was a real danger for the Apostle Paul. Again, going back to what we mentioned a few moments ago, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, the vision that he had, because of the surpassing greatness and glory of the experience that he had 14 years ago, the temptation was to become like the false teachers that he's writing against. The temptation was to become prideful and arrogant and conceited. In the midst of a heavenly vision, Paul's thorn in the flesh is what kept him anchored to the earth. He says in verse number 7, notice that again, so to keep me from becoming conceited like those who he's writing against, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Paul's weakness wasn't for nothing. It served a purpose in his life. Number one, it served the purpose of keeping him humble, helping him to live with humility as opposed to living defined by arrogance. I think the same thing is true in our lives. When we think about our our weaknesses, we need to recognize that they have purpose because they keep us humble. Shaquille O'Neal is one of the greatest big men to ever play professional basketball. He won four NBA finals. He won a most valuable player award during his very long career. He's big. He's over seven foot tall. And because of that, when he got the ball in the post, he was virtually impossible to stop. But one thing that everyone knows about Shaq, one thing that everyone knows about Shaquille O'Neal, is that he's terrible at free throws. That's his weakness. Do you know that Shaquille O'Neal actually has a theory on why he's so bad at free throws? Have you ever heard this before? In an interview, he was asked about being bad at free throws, and here's what he had to say. He said, the theory is, it was the man way upstairs... It was his way of keeping me humble. It was just his way of saying, hey, buddy, you're just like everyone else. To me, that's kind of funny. To me, that's kind of interesting, especially when we look at 2 Corinthians 12. You wonder if Shaq was reading Paul before this interview. He has pretty similar theories when Paul talks about his weakness and when Shaquille O'Neal talks about his weakness. He recognized, I have this weakness and it's God's way of keeping me humble, even though some might argue Shaq wasn't a very humble guy. Can you imagine if we didn't have any weaknesses? Can you imagine if we didn't have any flaws? Now, you might know some people who think and live as if they don't have any weaknesses, but can you imagine if that was actually the case? The arrogance, the pride, the conceit that we would lean towards that would begin to define our lives. Our weaknesses, while painful, certainly carry a great purpose in our lives. And Paul says that first purpose is to keep us humble, to keep us from becoming conceited. And the second idea that we're about to put up on the screen and that we're about to consider from 2 Corinthians 12 is really what I want us to consider this morning, especially as we look at the last six weeks, this week being the seventh week, as we've been talking about grace, number two, our weaknesses teach us, they have purpose because they teach us that Jesus and His grace is enough. 
Our weaknesses have purpose because they teach us that Jesus is all that we need and His grace is sufficient in our lives. How did we say Paul initially responded to this thorn in his flesh in verse 8? Not once, not twice, but what? Three times. Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this. I begged Jesus to take this away from me. What does that mean? That means that Paul believed that Jesus was greater than his weakness. And Paul, in his weakness, is choosing to rely on Jesus. Choosing to trust in Jesus. Asking, begging, pleading with Jesus to take it away from him. What was Jesus' response to Paul? Well, Paul, you are like a spiritual superman. You're one of my greatest preachers. You're one of the greatest missionaries that I have. I don't want you to have any weaknesses. So if you want me to take it away, if that's what you're asking for, that's what I'm going to do. Is that what Jesus said to Paul? No, you keep reading there in in chapter 12, in verse number 9, Jesus' response is so powerful. He's pleading, begging on his hands and knees, Jesus, please take this away from me. But he said, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, what is Paul saying? My grace is all that you need. You don't need me to take away this weakness. You don't need me to take away the thorn from your flesh. Because Paul, all that you really need is me. And all that you really need is my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. Why? Because my power, Jesus says, is made perfect. Other translations, my power is completed in weakness. As Paul served Jesus, it was apparent that it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about Paul's ability. It wasn't about Paul's talents. It wasn't about Paul's experiences. As Jesus worked through Paul, but not just working through Paul, as Jesus worked through Paul's weaknesses, it became apparent to everyone that this is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus' power. It's all about Jesus' glory. It's all about Jesus' grace. That's why Paul's able to continue on in this passage to say, I'm not going to boast when I'm strong. I'm not going to boast in what I'm talented in. I'm not going to boast in letters that I could add and experiences that I could add behind my name. He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because that's when Jesus can most clearly be seen in my life. He says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because that's when his power, that's when his grace, that's when his glory becomes evident. He continues on verse number 10 to say that he's going to be content for the sake of Christ, not just with weaknesses, but with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, Paul says, because when I'm weak. That's when I'm strong. When I'm weak, that's when Jesus can most clearly be seen in me. When I'm weak, I am strong because Jesus' power and grace becomes evident. Everyone's able to see it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. Paul's weaknesses had purpose in his life because his weakness, his thorn in the flesh, taught him a very powerful lesson. It taught him that all he really needed was Jesus and His grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wouldn't we do well to recognize the same thing? Our weaknesses 
have purpose in our lives as Christians because they teach us what we really need. And that's Jesus and the amazing grace that He extends to us. There was a teenage daughter who went up to her father with a complaint. She said, you gave me some really bad advice. The father was confused. He didn't know what she was talking about. Honey, what, what do you mean by that? What, what kind of advice did I give you? You told me to put all my money in this big bank. And now the bank's in trouble. The father, of course, is fishing for him. For him. What do you mean the bank's in trouble? This is the, the biggest bank in town. There's no way that they could be going out of business or anything like that. She says, they are. I went to swipe my debit card about an hour ago, and it was rejected. I went out to my car and saw that I had an email on my phone from the bank that said in big red letters, insufficient funds. The bank's going out of business. Well, I think you might need to look at that email again. I don't think it's the bank that is having insufficient funds. I don't think they're going out of business. I think it was her account that had insufficient funds, right? I hope you never get that message from your bank. But when you look at 2 Corinthians 12, isn't it awesome to know that we're never going to get that message from Jesus? Jesus doesn't say my grace is insufficient. He doesn't say my grace is kind of sufficient. What does He say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all that you really need. My grace is enough. That's what our weaknesses teach us. Our weaknesses teach us that Jesus is all that we need. And His grace is enough in our lives. Consider what we've said about grace over the last seven weeks for just a second. From Ephesians 2, in the very first week of this series, we talked about how grace saves. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 talks about how we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Yet, verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 5 talks about how grace abounds. Death and sin abound through Adam, but grace abounds through Jesus, which leads us to eternal life. Titus 2 talks about how grace appeared in the person, the ministry, the life of Jesus. It brings salvation to all people. It teaches us to renounce what is wrong, to stand against what is wrong, and to embrace what is right. Grace appeared teaching us to look forward. To that final and glorious day when Jesus is going to come back. Which we have placed our hope on. 2 Corinthians 8. We spent two weeks talking about how grace gives. How it impacts our life in that way. And then last week we said that grace gives. We have been gifted by the grace of God in 1 Peter 4. And we are to use those gifts for God's glory. When you walk away from what the New Testament teaches us about grace. When we walk away from it, and when we conclude this series on what grace is and what grace does in our lives, I think it naturally presents the question, what more do we need? You go back through what the New Testament says about grace, and you look at what grace has done for you. What more do you need in this life than Jesus and the amazing grace that He offers? That even in our weaknesses... Even when we're insulted, even when we're persecuted, even when we go through great difficulty in life, we can be content. 
Because it's in those moments where Jesus, His power, His grace, His glory can most clearly be seen in our lives. Our weaknesses have purpose because they keep us humble. Our weaknesses have purpose because they teach us that Jesus is enough and His grace is sufficient. There was a boat, cruise boat, sailing across the ocean. There was a man on the cruise boat who got really seasick the first night. The room was spinning. All that he could do was lay down in his bed. He couldn't even walk without falling down. All of a sudden, through the porthole in his room, he heard somebody shout in a panic, man overboard, man overboard. He thought to himself, wow, I wish there was something I could do to help. But like we said, he couldn't even get up. So he took his lamp, which was on his bedside table, and he put it in his porthole, thinking maybe just a little bit of light will help them. The next day, he was feeling better and went to breakfast. The man who had fallen overboard was giving the story about how he was saved, how he was rescued. He said, I was just about to go down into the darkness for the last time. I was just about to go underneath the water for the last time. My hand was sticking up out of the water. Whenever all of a sudden somebody shined a light out their window. And that light was just enough for the rescuers in the boat surrounding the cruise boat. That was just enough for them to see my, li- my hand as it went down into the water. They were able to come over and pull me up. In that man's weakness, he did what he could. And it ended up saving another person's life. It's not comfortable to think about our weaknesses. It's not something that we like to spend time thinking about. But I think it's important for us to note that as Christians, even our weaknesses have purpose. Our weaknesses are not for nothing whenever we find ourselves in the Lord. They have purpose because they keep us humble. They have purpose because they teach us that Jesus is all that we really need. And His grace is enough. Last week, we asked the question, What are we doing with the gifts that God has given to us? That's an important question to consider. But this morning, would you consider this question as we close? How are you allowing Jesus, how are you allowing the grace and the power of Jesus to work through even your weaknesses? Because when you do that, when you allow Jesus to even work through your weaknesses, it's not just going to impact you. It's going to impact everybody around you. It might just be the case that if if we commit ourselves to this, we might just be able to shine the light of the gospel on a hand that's just about to go down into the darkness for the last time. But you can't give what you don't have. You can't offer to other people what you haven't claimed for yourself. This morning, will you allow Jesus and His grace to be enough? Will you allow His grace to be sufficient for you? If we can help you to do that this morning, we would love to. As together we stand and sing. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. 
These truths in God's word he has given. How beautiful.